0: And let me just welcome you to Northridge Church, no matter what campus you are at, uh, no matter whether you're jo- where you're joining us from, we are honored to have you here this morning. Welcome home to each and every one of you. Thanks for joining us. And we're going to kind of just jump in, got a lot of uh, groundwork and a lot of questions to answer this morning. And if you haven't been with us, we've been talking about a, a, what I think is a very popular topic. It's the topic of heaven right, God's eternal destination for us as Christ followers. In week one, we kind of talked about why it's important to know why, what heaven's going to be like, because it will change our today and give us hope for our tomorrow. And then week two, we kind of talked about the difference of heaven, intermediate heaven, right, the, the heaven that God is using right now and the ultimate heaven that he's going to prepare for us when he comes back. And today we're, we're going to have a, a little bit of fun. We're going to answer a lot of the questions that you have asked about heaven. But before we, we kind of dive in, um, you know, you guys, if you've been with us for the last two weeks, you know I've kind of picked on cats a little bit. and So I'm just confessing, you know, I'm confessing in front of you. And it's interesting, right? God has a, a sense of humor. He has a sense of humor. Yes, he does. Because Wednesday, I think it was, it was either Tuesday or Wednesday, my wife was texting me right, and she, you know, we're we're going back and forth, and then all of a sudden, she sends me this picture text, and here's what it looked like. Do you know what my four-year-old daughter wants now? A cat. (laughs) Yeah, we're, we're, (laughs) (laughs) maybe God is speaking, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so we're in this series called Heaven, and you know, in week one, I asked you, if you had questions, you let me know, and we're going to do our best to answer every single question we got. Well, we got 200, <laughs> so I'm not going to answer all 200 today, but we've used our podcast to navigate every single question that was asked, and today we're going to dive into many of the questions that we have concerning heaven. Heaven. But before we dive into the kind of Q&A part, I want to build a foundation because I think it's important as we address our questions about heaven, we have to understand this. Parts of heaven are just meant to remain a mystery, right? I don't know why when you study the Bible, there's really not a lot about heaven, you gotta dig and you gotta research and you gotta go from verse to, to verse, right? But but God for some reason designed heaven to, to remain for us somewhat of a mystery. In fact, look what Isaiah says in, in chapter 55. He says it's about God. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so God makes it pretty clear that there's some things that he's God and you're not and he will get and you won't. And so part of heaven is going to be a mystery and we won't know all the answers to our questions until we get there on that day. And that can be really frustrating for us because we live in a culture today that when we have a question, we usually get an answer. Right? We Google it, or hey, if you, you know, if you don't know how to change the brakes in your car, just go to YouTube, and YouTube will show you exactly how to do it. And so it's hard when the God of the universe doesn't reveal all the answers to us, we struggle. And you might struggle today when I ask a question, I'm like, hey, um, we don't know. right? It's like humbling for me to be like, yeah, I'm supposed to, do, to, to answer all these questions for you, oh yeah, I don't know. And so we just have to go into this with that mentality. And so let's address some of your questions. And really every question that I answer today is going to kind of fall under the umbrella of of this heading, what will we be like in heaven? We've talked about the place of heaven, but now we're going to discover what you and I are going to be like when we arrive in heaven. Let me just give you a disclaimer. Every answer that I give to you today is going to be focused on ultimate heaven, the final destination that God has for us when he creates a new heaven and a new earth. And so practically, the first question many people have is what are our lives going to be like? Right, when we get to heaven, what will my life and what will your life be like? Is it going to be different than earth or is it going to be similar? What are we going to do from day to day? And to fully understand the question, what will our lives be like? I think we have to understand this fundamental thing about earth that we often forget. And what's true about heaven, what makes heaven so different is that the curse of sin is going to be destroyed right? That's good news for, for all of us. But here's the reality. When we wake up every morning, we eat our breakfast, we go throughout our day, we usually aren't constantly reminded of how sin impacts our world. But the reality is, from an earthly perspective, everything that we see, everything that we experience, everything that we hear and taste is marred by a sinful world. And so it's so hard for us to, to fathom the splendor and the greatness and the majesty of heaven because we have sin in us and our world is full of sin. And when we get to heaven, that curse that haunts our world will be gone. And Revelation 21 gives us a small window in, in some of the implications that that means for heaven. Revelation 21, it says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying, or pain. Why, why is that? Because the old order of things has passed away. The old order of meaning a sinful world is gone. And that dramatically changes what we will experience. What that means is there's no more bad, right? Everything in heaven will be good, perfect, and holy. There will be no more pain or hurt or sorrow, no more wheelchairs, special needs, diseases, colds, flus, or viruses. The deaf will hear, the blind will see, the lame will walk. Cancer will be cured, and our worry will cease. Sounds great, doesn't it? Because sin isn't involved. But that leads us to a second question. that I think it's a question that we often don't think about, but I think it's important to ask, right? So when I get to heaven... Can I somehow mess it up and be exiled out? Can I sin in heaven? Right? And I, I think this is actually a, a somewhat of a wise question because if you go to Genesis chapter one, right, the very beginning, God creates a perfect world. There was no sin, and guess what humanity did? We blew it, right? Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. What's gonna make us any different than uh, them in heaven? Can we sin in heaven? I think the Bible makes it abundantly clear. The answer is no. Praise the Lord. But what is the difference? What separates Adam and Eve from you and I? Well, a couple things. The first one is Adam and Eve were born into a perfect world. We were born into a sinful world with a sinful nature. And the only thing that gets us to heaven is the righteousness of Jesus. He's the one who makes us righteous. His blood covers us. And look what Romans 5 says. It says, for justice through the disobedience of one man, that's Adam, many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of one man, that's Jesus, many are made righteous. And so Jesus makes us righteous, but the major difference between Adam and Eve and us is in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were given a choice, right? Hey, you can eat of all the garden except one tree. And they chose to disobey God, to rebel against God. In heaven, the sinful nature is destroyed. In heaven, the devil is destroyed. There will be no evil, so there will be no choice. The only tree that goes to heaven is the tree of life. And so we won't face that choice. We won't have temptation because it will be destroyed. And so we cannot sin in heaven. But let's get a little more practical, right? A little more practical, right? Many people want to know, hey, what will our bodies be like in heaven? Right? What am I going to look like? And what are people going to see me as? You know what I wonder? I wonder if I'm going to be taller in heaven. (laughs) It's funny when I meet somebody from a different campus or someone that I've never met before, they usually shake my hand. Hey, Drew. Oh, I thought you'd be bigger than that. (laughs) Thank you. Nice to meet you, too. Yes. And what are we, I mean, like, hey, are we going to have, like, that six-pack of abs that we've been trying to achieve? Or are we going to have that, like, herbal essence flowing hair, right? Like, what are we going to look like in heaven? What are our bodies going to be like? And the truth is, is we're going to have what the Bible calls resurrected or glorified bodies. Like we are going to be transformed from earthly bodies to immortal bodies, bodies that are perfected by God himself. In fact, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks a lot about this. Look what he says. It says, it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to life to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scripture tells us that the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What What comes first is the natural body. Then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like earthly man and heavenly people are like heavenly man. Just as we are now like earthly man, we will someday, can't wait for this day, be like heavenly man. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These are dying bodies. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. So let me pause here. It's a lot to take in right basically what paul is saying is the bodies we have on earth are fleeting they're fading they're dying and they don't have the capacity to inherit the home that god has for us and so when we die our bodies are buried they're in the grave but when jesus comes back for his second coming he will resurrect our bodies he will transform our bodies into immortal bodies that will last for forever and so then he says hey you want me to tell you a secret And anytime you read in the Bible, you want me to tell you a secret, it's time to keep reading, okay? Just lean in a little bit, right? He says, you want me to tell you a wonderful secret? He says, we will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and those who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Man, that sounds awesome. Right? Like a glorified body. Like, let's go, I'm ready. And I love what one author kind of describes the difference between our earthly body and our heavenly body. He, he, he says this, he says, this earthly body is slow and heavy. That's just old English. They write things weird, but that actually says heavy. I'm not reading it wrong. Just, just, just for, for reference, it's, it's slow and heavy in all its motions, listless and soon tired with action. Anybody feel that? Know, you know, you wake up this morning. <laughs> yeah, Whew. yeah. Or wait till Monday. I know it's coming. But our heavenly bodies shall be as fire, as active and as nimble as our thoughts are. So that gives us a glimpse into what a transformed and a resurrected body will be. But then this leads to so many other questions in people's heads and hearts. Okay, if I have a transformed body, a resurrected body, okay, when I'm dead, like when I get to heaven, how old am I going to be? Right, like so if I die at 65 years old, do I transform to heaven as a 65-year-old? or If I die in my 30s or if a young person dies, will they be young in heaven? How old will we be? And, and honestly, no one really knows the answer to this question. But many scholars speculate on this. Right. Some scholars believe because of Jesus was around the age of 30 to 33 when he died, that we will all probably get to that prime, you know, that good old days, 30 years old, where you felt pretty good. Right. Like maybe we'll all be 30 years old in heaven. Some scholars suggest that. But then that brings up another question. Right. Like, okay, will there be children in heaven? Or are we all just going to be the same age, looking kind of all the same? Like, what is that going to look like? And again, we don't know the full answer, but in Isaiah, when he describes what heaven's going to be like, he mentions little children, he mentions uh, an infant. Let me show you, Isaiah chapter 11, he says, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. So here's what's weird, In Isaiah, he's he's describing heaven, he's talking about prey and predator, really living in harmony, laying together, enjoying each other's company, and animals that we would never let our kids be around is leading all this charge, right? He continues, he says, the cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hands in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so Isaiah paints this picture and in this picture he includes children, infants. And so many scholars believe that that kids who die at a young age will actually go to heaven as young kids and will mature in heaven. But the truth is we, we really don't know. And so that leads to other questions, right? Okay, how old will I be, right? What my body's going to be like? And hey, will we wear clothes in heaven, right? Like, hey, what are we going to look like? I mean, are we going to run around naked like the Garden of Eden? Are we going to have clothes on? It feels like this should be kind of important, but really not that important. And the Bible gives us a little indication, right? Revelation 6, it says, then each of them was given a white robe. Revelation 3 says, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. And so the Bible says, hey, we're going to have white robes and we're going to be wearing right. But I I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you, you know, fashion people are like, "Yo, am I going to have to wear white for all of eternity? That sounds kind of stale and boring. And a robe, like, I don't even like robes on earth, let alone in heaven, And really what Revelation is talking about is is more of a metaphor of what Christ has done in our life. Of how we were unpure, full of sin, marred by sin, dark and nasty. But yet Christ gives us a white robe of his righteousness. He makes us righteous. But also Revelation says that in heaven we'll be like kings and priests. And in the Old Testament, kings and priests wore beautiful garments, colorful garments. And so it probably doesn't matter. We could be naked. We could be wearing beautiful clothes. No one really knows. But then a really important question. This is one of the big questions I have because I'm a foodie. Any foodies in here? Yeah, Yeah, okay. I just like me some food. Can I get an amen? All right. Will we eat in heaven? Right? Will we have some heavenly chefs making us some good food? for first service, someone shouted out, no bacon. <laughs> I believe we will eat in heaven. And I think scriptures give us a good indication of that through Jesus' life. So after Jesus died and rose again, he has his resurrected body. He comes back to his disciples in John 21. And look what happens. It says, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of his disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, he took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same thing with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And so Jesus has his resurrected body. He's died, he's come back to life. And what does he do? He's like, Let's, let's have some breakfast, let's eat. Another place in the Gospels where Jesus is eating with a Pharisee at a house, look what it says, Luke 14, it says, When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is heaven. And the Greek word here for eat doesn't mean we're going to share in the kingdom of God. It means we're physically going to eat with our mouths. And so I believe there's going to be feasts in heaven. Now, I want to warn you, I kind of broke some of your hearts last week, that I think on our table is going to be a lot more greener than it is today. Because I believe we're going to be vegetarians in heaven. Because there will be no shedding in blood. And funny, after Sunday, someone came up and was like, Hey, Drew, do you, do you think there's a way that God could create meat without killing an animal? <laughs> it's like, really? Really? Come on. Another question, right? Our bodies, right? Okay, if, I'm, if I look at my body, am I going to have a job? right? Like, What am I going to do all day long in heaven? Will we work? And I answered some of this last week, right? I assume we will. I believe the talents we have here on earth will translate in the gifts God has given us to, to heaven. In fact, we see Adam had a job, Genesis chapter two. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And so Adam had a job and I believe we will. The difference will be is we will enjoy it. It will bring us purpose and joy rather than regret and annoyance. So we're gonna work when I work. I get tired, right? It wears me out. And so will we rest and will we sleep in heaven? What does that look like? Is there day and night? Are we gonna go to bed and wake up? And I think to answer this question, it's important to break the two words up because the Bible makes clear distinction between rest and sleep. I do believe we will rest in heaven because if you study God, he is a God of rest. He says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you what? I'll give you rest. And, and, and in the Bible, we see God resting himself, not physically, but he creates a rhythm of rest. When he created the world, Genesis 2, the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. He wasn't physically tired. God doesn't get physically tired, but he was creating a rhythm where you take a break from the minutiae and the, the craziness of life and you reorient and you rest your soul back on God. Right? And that's the rhythm of rest. When God created the world, he actually, in the Old Testament, you would have six years often of, of plentiful, of harvest. On the seventh year, God would give the earth a rest, a break. And so we will rest in heaven, but will we sleep? Now, scholars are kind of split on this. I'll tell you what I believe, and I'll tell you what other scholars say. I don't believe we will sleep in heaven. And the reason why is I don't think there will be a need for it. I don't think we will tire. I don't think we will be like, oh, man, it's Sunday. My team just played. I'm ready for my nap, you know, that good old-fashioned nap on Sunday. I don't think we'll desire that or need it. Our bodies will not tire. But some scholars believe, hey, sleep is like a pleasure of this earth, right? Some of you, you love to sleep, right? And so why wouldn't God allow it to be a part of heaven? And so we don't necessarily know. Now, we'll shift gears a little bit, right? That's our bodies, what our bodies are going to be doing and looking like. But maybe one of the most popular segments of questions that we got was what will our relationships be like, right? Relationships are very valuable, valuable to us here on earth. And so many people want to know, like, what is this going to look like in heaven? And I think that the first thing that we have to recognize is in heaven, we're going to live in relationships, God has created us to live not in isolation, but in relationships. That's why as a church, we push people in relationships regularly, getting outside of the crowd and getting into a small group of people to grow together, because that's the way God designed us to be. So we'll live in relationships, but so many people want to know, will we recognize each other? Will we recognize the people in heaven? And I think the answer to this question is yes, we will. I think when we get to heaven, we will recognize our friends and family members, and we might even recognize people maybe we didn't even know. I love what one author says. He says, shall we be greater fools in paradise than we are here? And what he simply means is why would we become dumber in heaven in a perfect glorified body? And so let me give you some examples in Scripture why I believe we will recognize each other. The first one is when Jesus rose again from the dead, he has a resurrected body, his disciples recognized him. At the transfiguration in the Gospels, Christ's disciples recognized Elijah and Moses, two men that they've heard stories of generations before them, but they recognized who they were. Paul often, in his writings in the New Testament, told people he was longing, waiting for the day when he would be with the people he loved in heaven. And then fourth, scripture really gives us absolutely no indication that when we get to heaven, God wipes our memory of everything that we do. But then let's dig a little bit deeper, right? Because Let's get more specific. People want to know, like, hey, will my family be my family? Will my sons and my daughters be my sons and daughters? Will my grandchildren be my grandchildren? And I believe this is when we get to heaven where our perspective on family begins to grow a little bit bigger and changes from earth. Because the truth about heaven is we will all be a family. This is, this is a huge difference from heaven and earth because on earth, the way we label, define family is through blood, right? You, you carry my blood, you are a part of my family. But one thing I love about our church is that we love adoption here at Northridge Church, Many people in our church and on our staff have adopted. I have adopted a child into our home. And if you ever saw a picture of my family, you'd notice something different about one individual. Malachi is his name in our family. He's from Asia. He doesn't carry my blood But the truth is, is Malachi is just as much part of our family as my biological girls because we've been adopted. And that's the truth about heaven. All of us are there because we've been adopted into the family of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we are all family. And I love what Randy Alcorn says about this. He says, heaven won't be without families, but we will be one big family in which all family members are friends, and all friends are family members. And so it begins to to grow our perspective on what that word family is. That's why we say welcome home, welcome to the family at Northridge Church, because guess what? We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, and we should act like that, not when we get to heaven, but here on earth. And so another question, stick a little bit deeper, right? What about marriage? Will I still be married In heaven, Many people ask this question, will my spouse be my spouse? And again, I think our our, our understanding and our perspective on marriage needs to change from an earthly to a heavenly perspective. Because anytime I do a ceremony, I usually read this verse, Ephesians chapter 5. It says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Then verse 32, it says, This is a profound mystery but I am talking about Christ and the church. You see, there will be a marriage in heaven and it will be yours, just not the one you're thinking about. It'll be our marriage as Christ church to our groom, Christ the Christ, and so we will be married to him. <laughs> And so scripture makes it abundantly clear that earthly marriage, what we experience here on earth is a shadow. It's an echo of the true and ultimate marriage between Christ and his church. And so Jesus actually made it abundantly clear that your spouse is not gonna be your spouse in heaven. Matthew 22, he says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. And let me tell you why this is, I know know for some people, hey, for me, man, I want to be married to Ashley in heaven. Like, I don't want to lose that relationship, right? And I don't think you will in the sense of, I actually think you'll have a more intimate relationship with your spouse than you did on earth. You just won't be married. But here's a practical implication of that that I think is important to know, right? Many people on earth have been married more than once. Because of a divorce or maybe because of, they became a widow or a widower and they remarried. And so when you get to heaven, like who do you, who you're married to, right? And who gets to choose? That could get really awkward really fast. <laughs> and so I think God made a perfect way that we will live in a marriage. It will be the church with Christ. And so as you, you recognize, there's a lot of questions on people's minds, right? 200 questions in And two weeks came in. And I know you don't want to wait all, you know, how many hours it would take for me to answer all 200 of them today. I'm not going to do that. But we have used our podcast. If you haven't listened to our podcast and you asked a question, I promise you, we answered your question. We went through all of them, and we give insight to those questions that we all have. And so I'd encourage you to listen to that podcast. But I saved two questions for last. Because I think these two questions are maybe the hardest questions to answer about heaven. Questions that pretty much everybody asks. Everybody wants to know the answer to. And the first one is this, do babies or someone with an intellectual disability go to heaven when they die? I know many people in our church who have had miscarriages, who have lost young children, who have loved someone with a disability, and they wonder and long for the answer to this question. And I wanna be very clear and I wanna answer this question very sensitively. Because the truth is, the Bible doesn't give us a full, clear answer on this. And so I don't wanna give anybody a a level of confidence that isn't all the way there. But through my study in the scriptures, I'm gonna give you the answer that I've come to, the conclusion I've come to, based off of searching God's word. And so I do believe yes that babies that were that miscarried or young kids that had a lack of understanding or someone who couldn't comprehend with a disability will be in heaven with Christ based off of who he is. And let me give you the reasons why. The first one is because of a lack of understanding, right? In Romans chapter 1, the apostle Paul says this. He says, "For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So here's what the Apostle Paul is teaching on. He says, because of God's general revelation, so the creation of the world, Mankind is without excuse because they see it, they clearly understand it, and that creation should lead them to the question, there's something bigger out there, and that desire in their heart should lead to them to find Jesus and live in a relationship with Jesus. So he says, hey, all of mankind is without excuse because of what they've seen and what they've understood. Now, scholars ask this question, what if someone can't understand? What if someone isn't old enough to comprehend? Or what if someone has a disability where their mind can't comprehend? Scholars believe that gives them an excuse. And so what that means is God in his grace and his mercy will show his mercy through Jesus to those people and he will take them to heaven. Now, when it comes to to babies, another place that we, we get indication is in 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel, David, King David, rebels against God. He does some really, he makes some really boneheaded decisions. And the consequences of those decisions was that God was going to take his firstborn son. And look what David says. It says, but now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? And so David says, he's been fasting. God, please don't take my son. He's been praying. And so God decides to take his son. He says, why should I fast anymore? God has made his decision. And then he says, can I bring him back again? The answer is rhetorical. No, he's dead. But look what he says next. He says, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Now, how in the world is David, who's alive, going to go to his dead child? Well, many scholars believe that he's talking, he's gonna meet him in heaven. He's gonna to go to heaven and rejoice with his son that he never met, but there is a flip side to that. Some scholars believe that David is just referring to he's gonna be buried next to his son, that his grave is just, act, the way he's gonna to go to him is one day he's gonna die and he's gonna be buried next to him. And so when we approach this question, man, God doesn't give us the full answer. Jesus also says, let the children come to me for theirs is the kingdom of God. And so based off of our conclusions, I truly do believe with all my heart that God will take someone with an intellectual disability or a child who cannot understand to heaven. The second question, and this might be the hardest question to answer on heaven, is how can I enjoy heaven when I know someone I love will be in hell? And honestly, this is a question that I've pondered wondered i've had relationships with people who based off of what i know and listen no one can judge any human heart other than god but based off of the evidence that i saw in their life they didn't have a relationship with the lord and so now they are living in separation from god and how how do we get to the place for Christ followers who we didn't earn our way to heaven, but God chose us and redeemed us through his grace and mercy, how can we celebrate knowing that people are living in all of eternity separated from God? And honestly, I, I don't know if from an earthly perspective we will ever get to understand the answer to this question. I think from an earthly perspective, it's just so hard for us to comprehend how that this will change in our minds, how we can celebrate when people are mourning Like, how does that work, God? But I think a couple things. The first one, I think when we get to heaven, a lot's going to change. And I think one of the biggest things that's going to change is how our mind views things. I think our perspective is going to change. And I think when we look at it, our perspective is going to change on sin. And we're going to view it differently. I think our perspective on God is going to change when we actually see him in his full holiness I think our perspective on God's justice is going to change, because our justice is flawed by our sinful nature, but God's justice is perfect. I think our, our, our perspective on trusting God fully is going to change, and so when he makes a decision on earth, we sometimes doubt it and wonder why, but in heaven, I think we're going to see the full picture. And so our perspective is going to change, but here's the facts of heaven. Here's how I know we'll be able to rejoice even though people we love are in hell, because this is the way the Bible describes heaven. It says, Jesus, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And so I don't know how it's going to work, but I do know that when I get to heaven, I will not mourn again. I will not cry again, and so somehow I'm going to be able to step in the presence of God and celebrate with him, knowing that maybe some of my people I love are not there. And I don't know how that works, but I trust God with the truth, and I believe his word for what it says. That's what we got to do, guys. When we don't have the answers, we have to trust God with those. And so as we we look at all these questions that we have kind of kind of really wrestled through. And I'll be honest, right, in, in, a, in a, the time frame that I have, if we were sitting down for coffee, I probably would have given you a lot more detail, but the reality is I just can't. You know, we're, we're, we're bound by time here a little bit. But as we wrestled through these questions, I think one of the questions we have to ask today is, okay, awesome, we got some, we got some answers to some of the questions that we have, and what's the point of that? Right? Is the point for us just to know the information? No, it's not. We're not supposed to be puffed up with knowledge. That knowledge of who God is and, and the home He has for us is supposed to sanctify us, change us, make us look and act more like Jesus. So, how in the world does q and A Q&A sermon do that for me tomorrow? How can I be changed today based off of God's word that we read? And I'm gonna give you just two quick ways. I think the first thing I want you to know is when you have questions, when you read your Bible and you have questions. You don't need me, you don't need Northridge to find your answers. And here's what I mean by that, right? The Bible is a complex book. And I know everybody has this assumption that when I read the Bible, I don't have questions. That's false. I've been studying Revelation because we're going to do a series on it in about six months. And can I tell you, my eyes have like bugged out of my head while I was reading it. Like, what the heck is going on? And we're all going to get to that place when we read our Bibles and it doesn't make sense right? I don't know the answer. The good news is, the Bible is a active. active. The, the spirit of God lives in you, and so you don't need a pastor, you don't need a church to get your answers. All you got to do is open God's word, get some resources and study it yourself. I, listen, my goal for you, it, my goal for you is that you would walk intimately with God, void of this church or void of me. I, listen, I will fail you as one of your pastors, is if you depend your spiritual depth and your spiritual growth on me. But what I want to do is equip you, equip you on Sunday to get you excited about God's Word. So on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, until we get back on Sunday, you are so hungry for God's Word that in the morning before you go to work and before you do anything, you're like, God, I just want to walk with you. I want to read your Word. And when I have questions, we'll, get, we'll have resources for you, right, to walk with God on your own. That's important. And we'll be a resource to you. I love teaching on Sundays. I love this. I can't wait on Sundays where we're together. But I don't want you to bank on it as your soul growth. Right? Walk with God intimately. And so one way we're going to help you do that is as you leave today, we're going to give you a, a little booklet on heaven. So that's about 30 pages, I think. And we want you to dig a little bit deeper on your own. Like, hey, tomorrow when you you go home, open this booklet up and read it with, with God's word. And so if you're watching online, as you leave at our physical campuses, we're gonna hand them to you. But if you're watching online, there's a digital copy for you as well. And dig, dive a little bit deeper. You don't need me. You don't need this church. We are a resource to you. We have community groups. We have equipped classes that will train you, equip you. But I want you personally to walk with God on your own. Secondly, right, heaven's a mystery. And we don't give all the answers. And when we don't get the answer, we have to learn to trust God with the answers that we don't have. Right, this is hard. It's difficult, especially when the questions we ask are really important to us. When we really want to know and God doesn't give us an answer, it's like, come on, God, why? That's what we want to ask God. Why, why, why? But in the midst of your why, I believe instead of leaning back and doubting God, you can lean in and trust God. Right? Remember the last seven weeks of a series called Against All Odds? We talked about what it looks like to trust God. And, and maybe you remember this verse, Proverbs 3. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on what? The answers you have. Lean not on God answering every question. But lean that he gets it, that he understands it, that he knows. In all your ways, submit to him and he will direct your path. And what does this look like? Like, honestly, like, okay, cool verse. We read it a lot in the last series, but what does this actually look like when I have questions? I'll show you really quickly in Genesis chapter 18. There's guy named Abraham, and he's in this town called Sodom and Gomorrah, and God is going to destroy it. Literally, like fire from heaven, destroy it. And Abraham struggled with God's decision to d- destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? There was a lot of wicked people who lived there, but there were still some righteous people. And Abraham was like, God, how could you destroy a city where there are righteous people? Look what he says to God. He says, far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Abraham struggled. He's like, God, why would you do this? I don't get it, God. I don't understand. Why won't you answer me? And in the midst of his question that he didn't get an answer to, look what he says. He says, far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Guys, heaven is a mystery and you will not get the answers to all your questions, but here's what you can bank on. God will always do what is right. Let's pray together. God, thanks for the journey that we've been on. And God, I pray that as we leave today, we would be excited about the home that you are preparing for us that we would live and long for heaven, but we would, we would just change the way we live here today, that that motivation for eternity would, would motivate us to take as many people as we can there. As we go to our workplaces, as we go to our homes, as we go to, to our classrooms and our dorms, that we would just tell people about Jesus, that we would live and share the gospel with them. Give us the strength and the boldness in the midst of our doubt and our questions to trust you, God, in Jesus' name.